Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome to the new episodes of Radio Rehab. I'm Dana, and I'm a recovering addict and an alcoholic. I'm clean and sober right now, but I've struggled with the disease of addiction for most of my adult life. It began when I was a teenager. I've had bouts of sobriety, and even during the bad times, there's always been some part of me that wanted to live life the right way, the way I am now. This show isn't just for addicts, it's for everyone. Some of my guests will be familiar to you, but their stories will be new, heartbreaking, and awe-inspiring. If you aren't one of us, you surely know us. We are your wives. Your husbands. Your daughters. Your sons. And we've gone through hell to get to the other side. This show is dedicated to the ones who didn't make it. Welcome to another episode of Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana, here in studio with producer Shar. If you would like to contact us, the email is radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. It's go-to productions.com. The phone number is 415-496-9511. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab Dana. And you're hearing Dead or Alive because, of course, Pete Burns died. The lead singer of Dead or Alive. It was a, it was a little scary because I remember as a child seeing that video on MTV and going, "She's pretty," and then finding out that that's not a she, it's a he. Well, interestingly enough, he became addicted to plastic surgery later in life. If you look at look at it, like if you haven't googled him, do it. It's Pete Burns from Dead or Alive. The the amount of plastic surgery is frightening. And being that I grew up in Los Angeles, when I say plastic surgery is frightening, I'm not kidding. You saw it, Producer Char. Yes. Like, I, I know the bear said he looked like uh, a bad version of Cher. I think he looked like a Muppet. Yeah, it was, uh, it's definitely a crazy transformation. Yeah, and it's like he was so beautiful. Like, he was prettier than most women in the 80s. It, well, if you look at the stuff now, if you look at the pictures now, it's like it almost looks like you're like, whoa, and then you like scroll down and then you're like, whoa. I know it, it just it literally gets worse and worse and worse because so. I know when people have those injections put in their face, it's like a lot of people have like, I think, fat injections or something put in their cheeks. And I saw a picture of him where it looked like the fat had turned to like cellulite or something in, in his face. Mm-hmm. It's just a strange thing to see cellulite on someone's face. I had never seen that until I looked at these pictures. But, yeah, I heard he had 300 operations just to fix boxed plastic surgery. So just to fix the ones that were, like, messed up. Wow. All I know is nobody's ever sticking anything in my lips. That is the most horrifying thing. Like, when I bite my lip, I want to die. It hurts so bad. Like, what makes people want to get their lips opened and have, like, tire material put in there? It's like I don't I don't know whoever at one point was like, you know what would look good? Duck lips. And everybody went, Yeah. I never I'm all uh, over that. The plastic the whole plastic surgery thing is just like kind of over my head. So like the idea of somebody freaking putting a needle against my lips is yeah. kind of weird. Yeah. And injecting your lips with filler. Or even ah! Botox, like in your forehead. Like when they 
Have you done that? No. <laughs> B? I don't know. I'm just asking. You've done everything else. What, because I like needles? Yeah, I'm all... Dude, look at... I have, like, I have the stretchiest, most animated face in the world. If I got Botox, everybody would be hip to it. You'd know from, like, a mile away. <laughs> like, my face? No way. Like, what's wrong with you, Dana? What do you mean? Nothing's wrong. This is just my face. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm happy. It's all the same face. Yeah, no, I don't think I, I, I never, I don't think I could ever do that. I mean, I'm saying that now, and maybe when I'm sixty, I might be like, I'm getting Botox, but I doubt it. I, I don't. I mean, I like the fact that I can make funny faces. I like the fact that I can never hide what I'm thinking, even when I think I'm hiding it. People are like, Oh, what's what are you thinking? I'm like, What? Because it's my face. I wear my. I like. I can't control my face <laughs> when I don't like something. When I think something's funny, like you can see it. So, plastic surgery never? No. But, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm saying that now, but like I said, I could turn 60 and want something lifted. I don't know. It <laughs> might change my mind and feel like, well, I was an asshole for saying that when I didn't have a problem, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but then again, I look at my mom, and she, like, is ridiculously youthful looking, and she hasn't had anything done to her face, because I'd kill her. My dad and I were both very adamant about that. Like, you do not touch your face. But luck, I mean, she's it's good genes, so hopefully... Yes. Hopefully nothing happens where I need to get it fixed. All I know is I, I the one thing that, I, that bothers me the most are nose jobs, because I love big noses. So I see these people who, like, I think are completely hot, and then they do what they think is fixing their nose... And give themselves that like Kevin Bacon weird nose that everybody seems to have when they have a fake nose. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's like it bums me out because it looked so much better when they had the Roman hook nose. I love those big noses. Hmm. I love a schnoz. But speaking of plastic surgery, um, you'll get the segue after I get to the end of this. <laughs> so Purdue, uh, the pharmaceutical company, is in the news again because they just had to pay out $634 million in wrongful death suits. They had uh, false advertisement. They, Purdue, by the way, is the, are the makers of OxyContin. Um, and the reason this is such a big deal is because people are dying. There's like five overdose doses a minute happening right now it's absolutely insane the amount of overdoses and it's because of prescription medication like oxycontin and fentanyl and the thing is it makes it can make an addict relapse but also it makes people who would never in their life have used heroin or any other drug pick up heroin because it's cheaper than oxycontin and you can't keep getting oxycontin and fentanyl also they're not supposed to prescribe it to anybody unless they have cancer like a or in a terminal stage of cancer but they prescribe it to people anyway it's like how are these young people getting prescriptions for oxycontin but the one the um so the story i was going to tell is i had a surgery not a plastic one and this is back when i had i had three years around three years ish mm -hmm. and they gave me fentanyl they just put, not to take home or anything, they just gave it to me because they thought I was going to be in pain. Okay. It, well, for three years, this demon inside of me, the opiate addict, had been asleep. And it, the I can't explain to you how it woke up with such a vengeance that it scared me to death. Wow. It, the minute they put it in, I was like, more I need that all the time. I never want to feel any other way than this. I didn't realize, of course, it took me like a long time to ever 
pick up again and start using opiates again. But it really like woke up a demon. It's I mean, which makes me think it's like if I ever had to get a surgery where they had to give me morphine or fentanyl, I would have to be so poor on my program. You know, like I would have to be surrounded by sponsors, friends, making sure I'm, you know, working my program, working with others, Mm -hmm. doing what you're supposed to do to stay sober, because it's just it's scary. I see people go out from so many people I know. They're like, well, I had 20 years and I'm like, but you have one now. What the hell would make you go out after 20 years Mm -hmm. and half the time? Well, most of the time it's they weren't working their program. But a lot of the time what instigated that is painkillers. Because they got painkillers for a surgery and then they felt like they needed two mm-hmm. instead of one at that time. And then they felt like maybe they should take four. And then they were getting, you know, constant refills. The other thing, that the, another reason the pharmaceutical company is being sold because, because they were making up stories about how there's something called like pseudo addiction where they're not really addicts. This is what the company was saying, that people just look like addicts, addicts uh, expressing med-seeking behavior uh, when really... What they are is somebody in pain who just wants to feel better. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, they're addicts trying to get pills. There's a lot of pain alternatives. There's like meditation, acupuncture, acupressure. There's a lot of things you can do besides taking a lethal dose of opiates and putting that in your system. I just think it's kind of scary that the, it's still in the news. But at this point, I feel like I'm getting to the point in my recovery where I feel so good that I don't want to feel differently. You know, like I wouldn't want to accidentally be have my drink spiked or, you know, like I because I used to say this is my big thing is, you know, if the world's going to end tomorrow. I want a big pile of cocaine and a big pile of heroin and some bourbon. That's how I'm going. If the world's going to end tomorrow. Right. And you, you know, don't want to end that way. Mainly heroin. And lately. Yeah. Lately, I'm wow. thinking I don't. I wouldn't. I want to go out sober. Like, wow. I don't want to die. So then that's fucking crazy. That's the huge, that's the most huge thing I've ever thought yeah, and if, with and, my head. And if you don't personally know Dana Keys, I mean, like, that's <laughs> kind of a big deal. Yeah. I think I've been, I've, how long have I known you? 10, 12 years? Like 12 years. And, uh, I've been hearing that statement from you. About, yeah. If there's a zombie apocalypse, this is what I'm going to do. Interesting. Huh. I, I guess, I mean, it just, I just like the way I feel now. Like, I feel naturally good. And I know the minute I introduce chemicals into my body, what happens is I, I can't stop. So, well, let's go back to the uh, the spiking your drink thing. Yes. So, if somebody spikes your drink, that's not, that doesn't count. Is that how that works? I think so. Well, see, I guess it depends on how. If, if I drink it and I take one sip, I'm like, oh, my God, the drink is sipped. It doesn't count. If I drink it and I go... Not sipped, spiked. If I drink it and go, this is spiked, fuck yeah, and I keep drinking it, well, shit. Yeah, well, obviously, but like, okay, so, so yeah, because I, I feel like I've heard that before, that it's like, oh, well, it's not your fault if somebody spiked your drink. Yeah. So does that, like, that's not going to make you start over, right? No, you wouldn't have to start over, like, in the eyes of the program. It wouldn't. You wouldn't have to introduce yourself as a newcomer. Uh-huh. But it would really be hard because you wake up all that stuff. Like, you know, for my first, for my first like four to five months of sobriety this time, maybe even six, I I was praying every day that the obsession be lifted. Because still, if I would see something about drugs or think about, 
you know, like, or even just walking in the grocery store when I'm just trying to buy cheese and there's like the booze aisle. And I'm like, why does it have to be right here next to the cheese? It would still, my mouth would water. Right. Or I'd see like a tequila ad or something. My mouth waters. It's like this, this thing that I just can't help. It takes a long time to get past that. Right. So that's one thing it would do when it would reintroduce the demon. No, absolutely. And, and so the reason I bring this up is because there's, there's, an episode of Grey's Anatomy that I <laughs> okay <laughs> that I'm thinking about is that that's what happened to one of the doctors on the show. She's an addict. She you know for, I might have been heroin too, like freaking drugs, alcohol, everything. Uh-huh. And she was at a wedding and she said, "I want cider or whatever you know, like the non-alcoholic thing." While they were doing the toast, uh-huh. and, uh and the the waiter or waitress gave her the wrong drink and so she drank it she drank it realized what it was spit it out and then like ran to a corner and freaked the fuck out oh wow and then but then it like you said it woke all that up and then she started using again because she couldn't deal like she couldn't deal with it i guess it like made her go holy crap i like i really and, and you know like she fell back you know like it's Obviously, it was for a storyline, but well, know. yeah, but it, but it's totally it's accurate. I get that. I think the uh, the right thing to do, I guess, if that happened, would not be to run in a corner, would be to call people in the in the program and right. gather I don't think people she told anybody. You. That's the thing is, I don't think. Yeah, she- if you keep that as a secret, then that's kind of your disease. Going okay, we're not going to tell anybody about this. We're going to sit around at home and make ourselves feel guilty about it, and then we're going to use because oh well, it are you know. It already started, so we might as well. So it's, I mean, like, all of this is, I mean, we were just talking about this the other day. It's just, like, being on the show with you for the past year, we're, you know, we're coming up on a year, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Uh, yeah, yeah, what this show's been on, November 26th, I think, yeah. is the one-year anniversary of Radio Rehab. And we should get a chip for it. I'm going to get it a chip. There we go. <laughs> I'm going to get a chip for my show. And uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> I will. And, and but yeah, I mean, uh but I've I've been around a lot of, you know, addiction and all of that stuff, but it's just like never never in this capacity of like learning stuff. So I was like I'm like a little kid going, "Well, let me ask this question. What does that mean?" Well, I know, but the other thing that's so funny is like now people in your life who are addicts and alcoholics are screwed because of me. Because you're like, oh, yeah. oh, I'm not buying that line. Oh, yeah, no, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day who's doing, you know, this was like, you know, off the air we were talking about it. It's like they're they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked my opinion, not knowing that I do this show on the regular. Right. And they're like, what do you think? And I'm like... I think I was like I think that person's not working a program. <laughs> exactly. And, like, and I was and I was like, if this person really wants to get their life clean, and I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, and I'm like, who? I'm sounding like Dana now. <laughs> like, if they really want to do this, and if they really want to get their crap together, and if they're really gonna say that they're on the straight and narrow, they've got to work a real program, not this wishy washy. <laughs> go to the go to the uh, go to a meeting here and there, and say that they go to meetings and have a sponsor that they kind of see. I mean, work a program. <laughs> Then they're not gonna get better, and they're screwed. And then they were just like, 
I think you're right. And I'm like, I know I'm right. You're like, I'm an Al-Anon black belt by osmosis. Damn straight I'm right. <laughs> you totally are, though. It's funny. I know, but it's like once you start working a program and, and you, you're focused on recovery every day, it's like for me in my life when I've, I've had friends who are wishy-washy about their program or don't really work a program or, or, or say they, they quit but they don't really go to meetings or anything, you know, they just like quit drinking or something. I just, I distance myself from those people because I can't be around it because it's like a really negative vibe that you have to be in. It's like they don't want to do a, like a 12 step program because they don't really want to stop. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I just find, find it like it's, I don't know, it's unhealthy for me to be around those people. Uh, it's very I, negative. I feel like we've, we've talked about this in the past, but I don't remember how much maybe this might have been stuff that we did early on that we never really aired is um the definition of a dry drunk uh-huh. uh explain it i guess oh okay so a dry drunk is somebody who is an alcoholic but who stops drinking they stop ingesting the alcohol but they don't work any kind of a program so nothing changes they're they're not doing anything different they're angry they're mad at everybody. They still act like an alcoholic. They still have all their alcoholic tendencies. They just don't drink. And they're the most miserable people you'll ever meet in your life. Interesting. We all become like, you know, like when I went to the South and I hadn't gone, I remember that when I hadn't gone to a meeting in two weeks, when I came back, I was fit to be tied. I needed a meeting. So like, I was so excited to be at that meeting. I didn't, after an hour, I didn't want it to end. I I needed it. I felt like I was getting my medicine because yeah, it's like all the stuff. It's like when you take away the drugs and alcohol, you still got your brain and it's our brain. That's the problem. It's our thinking. that's the problem. So it's like, if you have no way of dealing with that, no coping mechanisms, nothing you're doing to fill that void, then you're just basically an asshole. <laughs> um, but is like, how often do you come across exceptions to that rule or to that? Theory? I never have. There might be one, but I mean, it's like somebody might find something else. They could find religion. There, I, I've seen people who quit drinking. They've never gone to a 12-step program, but they found religion, and they're very religious. Mm-hmm. So, so they filled the void with that because they're very active in whatever their religion is. Hmm. Uh, I've got a friend who is, uh, he, had to, he, he had to go through some therapy and some stuff, to to stop drinking and kind of realize that he's an alcoholic. But I've never known him to be in a program. Like, like go to meetings. Right. And he kind of, and he has actually, I had a conversation with him recently and he kind of classified himself as the dry drunk. Oh. But he's not angry and he's he's completely, like his life is actually really good right now. And I guess maybe he filled the void with, before he never really had like a girlfriend or a real good relationship or anything uh-huh. like that, and he pretty much found like the perfect like soulmate love of his life, and they got married and they're living they're living the life and they like they they've got like a really good life together, and maybe that's the void. I'm guessing I'm that could be filling the void, but that could also be like making somebody else your higher power, which you know they're married, so I hope they have a, a like. I hope they're married for forever, but I'm just saying, if God forbid they got divorced, yeah, obviously th- there wouldn't be anything to keep him from drinking. See, I don't. That, that's the thing is, I don't. See- 
see that. Well, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess if they really, if they did get divorced, maybe that, like, if she left him. Yeah. That would, like, that would free, like, that might set him off. Like, that's the trigger that would set him off. But, like, in terms of them, I don't see it. It's I don't see it as, like, a codependent thing. I guess that's my answer. Is like, Yeah, it might not be. He, and he might not have even been a true alcoholic. He could have been a situationally depressed drinker. Uh, from what we could, from what I, from knowing his personality and knowing how he is, he's kind of like a very anxious type person. And I think he kind of like stuff that kind of weirded him out and the anxiety that he had, like he drank probably to get away from the anxiety. Right. To take the edge off. Right. And, uh, now that he's sober, it's funny because we talk about it. We tease him about the stuff that we're like, oh, the crap that we did around you. When we were stupid and drunk, and he's like, "Well, I was drunk too." So, oh, right, right. You know, so it's, uh, but then now it's just like he get he doesn't have that kind of threshold for like silliness. <laughs> you know? Oh, so he's not as fun. He's still a fun guy. He's just, uh, but what I'm saying, well, before it's just like he he would get mad and embarrassed or like. He would, it's like almost like stuff that would normally bother him. Uh huh. It didn't bother him because he was drinking. And then now that he's there, oh, right. He gets irritated with it and he just is like, I'm, I don't deal with that, you know? You no, know, I totally get that. I mean, because the, there's a lot of people I know who are sober who have never been around alcohol since they've been sober. They don't hang out with anybody who drinks. They just, and for me, it's like I have to be part of the world, not make my own planet over here. You know, mm-hmm. like, like I'm constantly around alcohol. I'm around drunks. Off, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm around people who actively drink. I've been around people not who do heroin, actually, because why the hell would I be hanging out with that person? But you know, I've been, I've been around people who smoke pot. It's like it doesn't bother me because because I work a program. But yeah, like when I'm around people who are you know, excessive drinkers and they're getting sloppy drunk. Yeah. It gets on my nerves to mm-hmm. see, you know, cause it's like, why am I listening to somebody repeating the same story over and over again uh, I, or well, screaming in my guess, face about something? I guess I'm trying to crack the code on my buddy. Cause he just doesn't fit the mold of what we've been talking about. Yeah. It would be, you would have to really, really talk to him every day and watch him to, you know, like an animal in captivity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd have to study save a tooth boy. Yeah. Like watch him. And see what's with going a, with on. With a clipboard and a lab coat. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what you have. Yeah, you just put some goggles on and have a clipboard and a lab coat. Like, the, what's going on in this guy's Yeah, head? what's the deal with this guy? <laughs> oh, another so another thing, speaking of that. So Taryn Manning is in the news. For those of you who don't know who she is, she plays, um, how do you pronounce it? Pensatucky or yeah. Pensatucky, right? On Orange is the New Black. Um, so she, I think what happened is she relapsed. And somebody threatened, okay, we're going to put a story out about it. We're going to talk about it. So she took to the press quickly so that she could circumvent that kind of and say that she's struggling with her sobriety. And I think that's kind of, I don't, that's kind of wishy-washy. You mean you relapsed? Like, is that what you're saying? You mean you're struggling with drugs? Because why would, if I struggle with my, my sobriety, I've struggled with my sobriety many times. It's not a thing that should become, you know, I don't go tell my friends who are not in recovery. I'm struggling with my sobriety. That would freak them out. Mm-hmm. I would tell my mom that she would think it meant I was going to drink. <laughs> you know, like when I struggle with my sobriety, I get through it. I right. talk to my sponsor. I get help. I share at meetings. Like, so I think what she's saying is 
she's loaded and she's trying to get help. But from what I saw in the article, it was like, you know, I'm loaded. I'm having really bad problems right now, but I don't have time for rehab. And, you know, it's all the excuses. It's like, if you want to get sober, you get sober. You can't put anything ahead of it or you'll lose Mm -hmm. it. Because somebody said to me once, anything you put ahead of your sobriety, you're going to lose. You know, you're going to relapse and you're going to lose that thing that was making it so hard for you to stay sober. Then you won't have anything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of, I think there's a couple girls on that show who are sober. I know Laura Prepon is a Scientologist and they don't do drugs because they have like a built-in drug thing i think right. it's called narconon I mean, we put my my dad went through that in the 80s really uh yeah he went narconon I, yeah narconon that's what it was called okay. but they try to like what well, he went in there and he went to detox but then they also try to kind of convert you when you're in there and that's when he jumped out the window and left <laughs> literally jumped out the window he <laughs> climbed out of a window in a bathroom and yeah that's so that didn't work out for him but uh, most of the people i know who are scientologists are very They've never done drugs. Have you seen, have you ever seen, I might ask you this before. Have you seen the HBO uh, Going Clear? About no! That? Oh my gosh. That is some crazy stuff. If you want to know about Scientology or like what, like how, like I remember watching it and I ended up watching it with my brother and uh, the two of us were just like, it's like, like talking it's about- fascinating, rip, right? Rip your face off. Like it's like straight up crazy. Like there's a point where- You'd think that like uh, like Tom Cruise was like saluting Hitler or something like that. Like he was just like, blah, 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 like what what's what's the guy's name? L. Ron, L. Ron Hubbard, Hubbard, right? Uh, LRH, and like does like a salute, like an LRH salute, and you're just like, oh my god. There is something kind of Nazi esque about Tom Cruise that I can't really put my finger <laughs> on, but yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. But growing up in Hollywood, you you gotta you know you gotta look. Look both ways and whisper if you're even going to say the word because there's so many of them. But so there's a thing called the Celebrity Center, which is their big Scientology building right. in Hollywood. And I don't know if this still exi- if it still exists like this. But back, you know, when I was a teenager, if you walked in and demanded a tour, they had to give it to you. I have no idea why. Maybe it has something to do with cult something. I don't know. But if you you walked in, you said, "I want a tour." Or, I, uh, you know, I'm thinking about joining and my mom's thinking about whatever. They have to give you a tour. So they would give us a tour and at the end they would give you a test. I think it was called a personality test or like an anchor test. But it with was the, like, with the, yeah. yeah. So we go, so my friend the Jennifer stress and I. Stress test, yeah. Yeah, stress test, yeah, something like that. So my friend and I go in and we're like, oh my God, this is crap. Because it looked like we were basically holding soup cans. Yeah, yeah, You know, it looks oh, so that, fake. That, that whole thing is in that going clear thing. Oh, it is? You got to watch it. Oh, yeah, because we were cracking up and like she was, you know, and then, but they did say our anger levels were through the roof and they're like, well, either they're just guessing that or what, but I, we, we were angry punk uh, rock kids. <laughs> so I don't know how I got sucked into this. Uh, probably because I'm, I'm one of those people that like feel bad about saying no to stuff, right? I, but I was at like a, I don't know if it was a mall or a, or a convention or something, and uh, an L. Ron Hubbard person was there, at the. Uh, you mean a Scientologist? <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Uh, the yeah, the Scientologist people were there. Well, they were they were like kind of schlepping the books, I guess it was. Right. And. There was a guy there, and he asked me to take to like take this stress test, 
I didn't know. I I wasn't. I might have been a teenager or something like that. Yeah, because so, back the, back in the nineties, there was a lot of those people. Like you, yeah, could, they were everywhere. Right. I just thought, I thought that was mainly in L.A. I didn't know it was up here. But too. yeah, I mean, like it wasn't everywhere. But it, you like you found it kind of frequently. And I took the test, and I didn't know what I was freaking doing, and I was just doing this. And then after watching this Going Clear thing, this Going Clear documentary, I was just like, holy crap. Like, I didn't realize I, like, gave up. Like, like they freaking, like, tracked me somehow. Like, they, you know, like, because they asked me to fill out the stuff. And they did call me for a long time. Like, they kept calling my house. And, like, you know, there was no cell phones back then. God, yeah. And they were, like, pushy. And they were just, like, calling me all the time going, hey, sure. Like, and I didn't. And at the time, I didn't know anything about Scientology, so I just didn't know what the deal was. I was like, "Oh, this book that they want." I, like, I it was all Dianetics. Yeah, I was like, "The this book and this guy and this whatever," and they're calling me. I don't want to deal with this. So I like, you know, don't answer the phone. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating. It's something you could lose hours of your life on the internet researching Scientology. It's, I mean, because I think it seems to me, and this is from my outside perspective. I've never been part of it, so I'm not. I'm not trying to judge, but it seems to me like it's kind of based on manipulation. And that's what my dad told me that they were trying to do to him in there was they were teaching, trying to teach him. They were teaching the people that were coming off drugs how to control one another, Mm. how to to push someone around. I'll never forget this. He said they were trying to get me to push a guy around the room without touching him. Like, what? You know what's really funny? This is another quote by my dad. He said, this was my teenager, teenager, he goes, if you come home addicted to drugs, we'll deal with it. If you come home pregnant, we'll deal with it. If you come home a Scientologist, you're the fuck out of my house. <laughs> nice. I know, it's so funny. It's like when he said, like, if you marry a musician, I'll disown you. If you marry a drummer, I'll kill you. <laughs> but you did marry a drummer. I dated a couple. Of yeah, I was pretty close to. Yeah, I, I mean, I was pretty much. I pretty much been engaged to two, and it's so funny because every time I would meet one, I would meet. I'd see a guy. I would look at him, and I'd be like, you know what? That guy is clearly a French poet. Turns out to be a drummer. Or I meet another guy. Oh, that guy is clearly wearing the big buddy Holly glasses. He's got to be a computer programmer. And I love nerds, and I thought that was so hot. No, he's a drummer. It's like, so it's so funny is when I met the bear, I tried to steer clear of him because you've seen pictures of him back then. He looked like a musician. Oh, like, yeah. He could have been a drummer. So I oh, was like, I uh-uh, you- get away from me. But guess what? He is a computer programmer and I'm so I, happy. I, uh, <laughs> now, nowadays, and in, in hindsight, it, I, was, I couldn't be completely further from the truth. But when I first saw a picture of him, I thought, holy crap, the bear is just like a taller, older version of the mouse. But I'm completely wrong. Yeah, completely Especially wrong. Especially knowing the knowing his personality. Especially knowing that he uses the word hexadecimal in a sentence. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not I want to say but anything I, bad I, about the mouse though. But yeah. Yeah, no, but when I but when I looked, I was like, I go, oh, that's like that's what the mouse is gonna look like in like thirty years or so or twenty years or something like that. That's kinda how I thought of it. Not that he's that much older. I think you're just seeing two white people with beards and thinking they look alike. I really think that's what's happening. And that's what I'm saying. In hindsight, I was a little wrong and I was a little off in my judgment on that. Case. Yeah, they look nothing alike. But it's, it's funny. I think the mouse will still look like the mouse in 20 years. I'm like, sure. people don't relate. Their facial features don't change. And we are talking about her. <laughs> her yeah, I actually, I actually did date a mouse and now I'm dating a bear. <laughs> Those are our code words. Not anything bad. I mean, the bear, I actually call the bear. 
And the bear used to have a, a mouse nickname that was in the pet butt club. That's where that comes from. Because, yeah. I'm cat butt. Producer Shar is dog butt. And then there was Fival. Mouse you're, butt. You're letting people into our world and they're going to completely disregard this podcast. <laughs> They're going to go, these people are fucking insane. Because we were having this conversation on the phone last night when we were talking about today's show. And I was just like, and, 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 we, and we were laughing at ourselves thinking that we're hilarious. And I go, if people really knew what you and I actually talk about in our own conversations, people would think we're absolutely off of our rocker. But we are, is the thing. Yeah. That's funny. And, we are off of and our And so the fact that you're telling everybody that we call ourselves the pet butt club and that I'm a dog <laughs> butt and that you're a cat butt and that you used to date a mouse and now you date a bear. How does, like, how are we going to be able to grow this show? We're going to take it from there. We're In gonna, fact, I think we've already, it sky's the limit. We're taking the it to the next butt. level. This is next level shit. By the way, people were making fun of, um, we're making fun of radio when we, when we say next level stuff. <laughs> Some people are just crazy. But speaking of personal stories, I want you guys in on my personal stories. So uh, I would like you to write in. It's Radio Rehab at GoToProductions.com. That's G-O-T-O Productions.com. Do you have a story for me? Do you want to be on the show? Um if you live in this area, it might be possible for somebody to be a guest on the show. I, I will take stories. You can call in. You can tell stories. I can read your stories on the air because come November 26th, the one-year anniversary of Radio Rehab, when Radio Rehab gets its one-year chip, um, there's going to be short stories. It's going to be a whole lot of stories, and we're going to be dropping one episode a day. Monday through Friday. So you can call or text 415-496-9511. Like I said, email Radio Rehab at GoToProductions.com. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab Dana. By the way, I'm really awful at checking Facebook messages, so it's better to just write into the GoToProductions. You know, because yeah, then it gets sent to me and I just have to forward it. Because then you forward it to me. Because, yeah, otherwise I'm like, oh, Facebook. I'm so against Facebook Messenger. I, it's seriously, I'm just, I'm against it. I, I can't I deal to with forward it. something to you and you're like, why would you do that? I don't look at that. <laughs> I'm like, all right, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> no, I, I, I'll, I'll look at it like, it's been two months, I think, since I've checked Facebook messages. But I, so that means I should probably check it today. But anyway, I want your stories for StoryCorps, uh, addiction, recovery, stories of that nature, or family members. I mean, you don't have to be an addict per se, but I would like to hear that. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Stay sober. Sex and drugs and rock and roll Is all my brain and body need Sex and drugs and rock and roll